Paul, he ends this section with this. Look, if you want to put on love, you want to grow in humility, you want to become who God made you to do, he says, admonish one another, teach one another, let Christ's word dwell in you, for it will change you. Sing psalms and hymns to one another. Be filled with thanks, thankfulness. These things will transform us to become the kind of person God made us to be. This is why when we gather, we sing. Singing has a power to change us. In fact, I can change your attitude right now with a few simple words in a song. You ready for it? I don't want to be a chicken. All right, some of you are laughing, some of you are singing. What if I keep going and I start doing the actions? Would you join me or just think I'm kind of crazy? Yes, I think the answer is yes. Certain songs have a power to completely change us. Just the lyrics alone will transform us. Don't stop believing. And now you're stuck thinking about journey. Part of why we sing when we sing together is because words sung to one another and with one another create a sense of community that strengthens us and changes us. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. We are just a few days away from the end of this calendar year. And for some, this has been a wonderful year. And for some of us, it's been a difficult year. And for some of us, we're just not really sure because we're so worn out from Christmas. We're still trying to get off that little fog that comes from the Christmas haze. Is that you? Earlier today, somebody told me, I feel like the Christmas hangover. And I kind of chuckled and he goes, no, 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 not that kind of hangover. The one that comes from so much family and food, you just are worn out and exhausted when you're done. Last year, as we finished the year, we did something that I thought was really fun, and we're going to do it again this year. We took a look back at where we've been and what we've talked about and what we've covered as a church and said, if this is where we've been, where are we going? And so we're going to look now as we prepare for this next year and prepare for what's coming. With this promise of Jesus, our hope and our joy and our peace, with his love sustaining us, where have we been and where do we go from here? So we started this year with the book of Philippians. If you were here all the way back in January, maybe you remember we spent three months looking at this book, this letter Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians, he writes some pretty challenging things like enduring suffering with joy and casting off all of our anxiety on God. He talks about how through suffering, we actually get to encounter God. And he encourages the church in many ways to set aside all of the things they've clung to in the past. 
all of the things that were holding them back. He even encourages them by saying that all of his own good works were like poop compared to knowing God. And he says, look, that's what I was, but this, this is what I get to be. After looking at Philippians and this encouragement to press on through all suffering, we continued with a series called Weep No More. See, the reality is we as people surrounded by suffering and filled with grief. I don't know why my watch is talking to me. As people filled with grief, sometimes we don't know what do we do when things get really hard. And so as we talked about weeping no more, we didn't say just hide it and bury it and act like it doesn't exist, but rather, how do we take our grief and point it to the hope of Jesus? How do we surrender all of our pain and say, I can't make sense of some of these things, but trust that in Jesus and ultimately in the promise of the resurrection, all of our grief has its conclusion it's ending, our, it's final resting place. And so when we hurt, we can bring our pain to him. We can bear it to him and say, you are the God who's conquered death. Come and be enough for me in this pain. Following our time of Weep No More, we did a series that, while the graphic was really fun, um, every nursing mother or mother who's once nursed told us this was a terrible title, a series entitled Let Down. And, and this series was all about expectations and the reality that oftentimes people disappoint us. Have you ever been disappointed by somebody? You were hoping for one thing and instead you got something altogether different? And what do we do when those disappointments aren't just other people, but when it's ourselves? When we are disappointed in ourselves because we're halfway through the year and haven't done anything towards our resolutions, we haven't lost weight, but we've gained weight. We haven't become any more financially secure, but we're further in the hole. What do we do when we let ourselves down? And ultimately, what do we do when God lets us down? When we pray and we hope and we believe and we expect, and he doesn't answer our prayers the way we want. How do we learn to change our understanding of expectation? To surrender it all and say, God, these are my desires. But ultimately, your will be done. We talked about in that letdown series the reality that you and me need to learn to give ourselves grace. Because he does. And not only do we need to give ourselves grace, we need to learn to give other people grace. Other people will disappoint you. So how can you prepare to forgive them before they even wrong you? As I was looking back at these series and thinking about that, I thought just how much even now, eight months later, I need to be reminded. Other people will hurt you. So just plan on forgiving them before they ever even hurt you. How would that change your approach to your relationships or maybe to the people that you're supposed to love and you don't really want to. After our letdown series, we continued with one called BC, Before Christ. Uh, where was Jesus in the Old Testament? And I know the subtitle says, getting to know Jesus before he was born. And some people pointed out, well, he always was. Like, there's never been a time before Jesus. I know. Theologically, Jesus has been around from the beginning. But like, where was he in the Old Testament before he came and was born in the flesh with Mary. 
And we looked at this phrase, the angel of the Lord, how God repeatedly from the beginning shows up in miraculous ways doing things, this specific angel acting in ways that only God himself could act. We saw that all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is there. He's acting for the salvation of his people to rescue and redeem them. It's Jesus who's there in the pillar of fire rescuing them and bringing them out of slavery. It's Jesus who's there when Daniel and his friends are in trouble for worshiping God. It's Jesus who's there all throughout. There never was a time before him. And so we're, sometimes we see the Old and the New Testament and we think they're opposites. They're actually complementary. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus and the New Testament points back. And all of our life together, whether we're spending time studying the Old or the New, all of our life is centered the same way. Our past led us to where we are and I hope our future always leads us to Jesus. After BC, we did for the second year in a row what I thought was going to be a sermon series that marked the end of COVID. <laughs> uh, we did a series called Life After Exile. Uh, as a church, we were celebrating that for a whole culture, like our numbers with COVID were down and people were relaxed and we were thinking, finally, this silly thing called a pandemic is behind us. What a joy. And like all of the people of Israel when they were coming back from exile and from isolation and from loneliness, what do we need to do differently? And we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah and their calls to love God and, and honor his word and to uphold marriage as a good and godly thing. And, and we looked at what life looks like after exile. And then, of course, COVID still persists, persists and Numbers keep going up and down, and we find ourselves still in this state of flux. Even yesterday, I saw somebody who had shared on Facebook that all they got for Christmas was COVID, and now they're stuck for 10 days alone as opposed to with family. I thought, what a difficult and disappointing time to still be in. What does it look like for us as the church to honor God and hold his word as important? From there, we went into a series called It's Personal. Who is this God we're called to honor? This God who personally loves us. And there's kind of a play on words there because it's personal is that it's about you and about me. But also, the church has used the language of persons to describe the nature of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we spent a couple weeks looking at who is this God who loves us and how do we get to know him? How do we experience him? Why do we use things like creeds to articulate the language that we believe in? And after this, we went to what was probably my favorite series of the year, a series about the point. What does it mean for us as a church to believe that being here on Sunday morning is not the goal of being a Christian? What does it mean that we can celebrate what God is doing here while also being pointed out into our communities and our neighborhoods and into our workplaces to say everything God does here is so that from here we can go and connect with people who don't yet know how much they're loved and serve in a brand new way. And I introduced in that series something that we're gonna continue to talk about and bring back for a long time. 
This idea that we are called by God to come as we are. You've heard us say that before. God is not expecting anything of us before we come and meet with him. Over and over and over again, he invites us in all of our mess and sinfulness and brokenness, come and receive forgiveness. And then when we come as we are, he changes everything. And he loves us too much to keep us that way. And so we begin a transformation process of becoming who God made us to be. Of changing from who we were into who he's making us to be. And in this process, we practice habits. Habits that shape the way we think and the way we live and the way we act. Habits and practices that will over time make us more like Jesus. And in this, we talked about how in order to become more like Jesus, we first have to be with Jesus, right? Like you only become like the people you're around. And so if you want to become like Jesus, be with him. And how do we do that? So we dove into a practice together, one called silence and solitude. Anybody still find silence awkward? Oh yeah. In this hurried culture where we're super busy taking time to simply sit and be, it's exhausting. So as we talked about silence and solitude, we began to practice how do we learn to slow down, to sit and listen for what God is saying, to learn to be in the moment and pray for the people God puts in front of us to be in his word in such a way that we encounter him more than just words on a page or things we're supposed to know. How do we learn to just be with Jesus each and every day? I was talking with Emily a few weeks back as we were talking about this year and where we've been and where we want to go next year. And she said, you know, it's amazing how we went from silence and solitude to Christmas. And Christmas felt anything but that. I said, you're right. This world is constantly coming against our efforts to slow down and to be with Jesus. And so this practice of silence and solitude is something we're going to continue in the coming year, but also we'll be introducing next year some more practices, something different, because I know not all of us like silence, and some of us do really well with it, and others find it so uncomfortable, you just can't wait to break the silence. So we're going to introduce other practices, things you can do to begin to become like Jesus. Ways you can say, is my life lining up with who God has made me to be? And if not, how do I get there? We went from silence and solitude into Second Peter, where Peter, he warns against false prophets and teachers who are teaching lies, and he warns against all the things that could distract us from God, and he points forward. He says, remember, he's coming, right? He's coming again, and though he's delayed right now, remember, he's coming and that led us into Advent in our Bah Humbug series. That Advent is a series, a season of looking at the fact that he came once before and he promised he would come again. And in the midst of all the busy, only a few weeks removed from silence and solitude, we said, how do we find meaning in this season that sometimes feels so hurried it's meaningless? 
How do we slow down and experience it the way God intends it? And encounter the reality that this Christmas morning is more than just presence under a tree or time with family. But God himself taking all of our someday hopes and someday dreams and saying today they're fulfilled. For unto you this day a baby is born. And, and so as we look forward to what we're going to do, I want to one last time briefly back up to where we've been. Philippians chapter 3. Where we were all the way at the beginning of this year, Philippians chapter 3, Paul, he writes this after describing suffering and sorrow and all of this turmoil, he says this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, he encouraged, he said, look, I know the things behind us were difficult. I know they were ugly. I know they were broken. Forgetting all of that, I press on for what's ahead. Now, I don't think Paul wrote forgetting these things in a sense like now we don't ever remember they were once a part of our lives. But rather, the thing we aim our attention to is going to be the thing that gets the most attention. Sounds profound, right? Whatever we're directing our lives towards will be the thing that our lives become. And sometimes it's really, really tempting to look back in the past at all the things you're not yet. Ah, oh, gosh, I set out in 2021 to lose weight and I'm still overweight. I set out to learn new healthy habits with my finances and I'm still a mess. It's really easy to look back on the people who've hurt us and say, look at how these relationships fell apart. But for Paul, he says, look, we can't change the past. We can't make it happen any different. The only thing we can do is today change the future. So let's fix our eyes on what's to come and let's strain forward. And I love that language of straining forward. You see, this next year, 2022, will not be easy. Maybe it'll be easier than 2021 or 2020, but life isn't easy. There will be hurdles and difficulties and challenges ahead. And so to press forward into what's to come will be hard. Will require a squeezing and even a transformation that maybe sometimes we don't want. So let's press forward to this goal of the upward call of Christ. See, you and I were made for so much more than just the daily rhythm and routine of life. We were made for more than the joys of Netflix and the joys of hanging out with friends and the joys of this world. We were made for more than just showing up to work and just hoping for the weekend. And so as we press on, we press on not towards some arbitrary goal, but towards Christ himself, the one who created you the one who redeemed you, the one who even now is transforming you, saying you are made for more. Let me show you. So that leads us to where we're gonna look in scripture today. Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse one. And I think it's page 1227. If you wanna follow along in the Bibles in front of you or upstairs on the tables, or you can use your phones if you'd like. Colossians chapter 3. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right away, if then we have to look first what happened before. Before this, Paul, he encourages the Colossians, look, you were once dead in your sin, but now you have been raised with God. You were once far from God, but now you've been brought near. You were disconnected, and now you're plugged in to him. And you have been raised from the dead in him. We often think about the resurrection of the dead to be something that happens later, right? Like, first we have to die to be resurrected. But what if there's a twofold reality? Yes, then you will rise from the dead, your body will be transformed and will no longer have sickness or sin or sorrow or suffering in it. Then things will be perfect. But what about now? What if today God's inviting you to rise from the dead? And by that I mean all the dead things you've been holding on to, the relationships that you have maybe killed or that have been slowly killing you, the addictions that you've really not enjoyed but you don't know how to not enjoy them, all these things that are weighing you down. What if there's a resurrection awaiting you today? Leave all that behind and find new life in Jesus. Paul, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. As we prepare for this new year, there's a whole host of things we could set our ambitions on. Anybody in here like New Year's resolutions? How many of you honestly plan on joining a gym in the next two weeks? Anybody? I hope some of you, because that's how gyms make their money. How many of you plan on sticking with it in February? Of course, all of you plan on it right now. But oftentimes, when we set out for the new year, we set out with goals that I think are less than what God has intended for us. And they're not bad goals. Like, I would love to lose 10 pounds or maybe 30 pounds. That would be nice. And I would love to be up here super buff and strong because I worked out all year. And I would love all kinds of things like changing my sleep patterns to sleep more. And those are all really, really good. But I find it's really tempting to fix all of our attention on the things that are maybe surface level and shallow and good, but not great. So what if this next year we seek things that are above, that are above this worldly reality of temporary and fleeting, above this reality of shallow and vain like some of them are? What if we seek things that are of God and see how that changes the things that are not? Paul, he continues, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, there's this beautiful promise for you and me. God has already hidden us in Christ. Like tucked us away, sheltered us from this world. Nothing can separate us from his love. He says, look, if you have been hidden away and sheltered in his love, why not fix your eyes on things that will actually be worth it? That will actually benefit you. Then he gives this challenge in verse five. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And I'll go on here in a moment and read the rest, but he begins with this. Look, if we want to fix our eyes on the right thing, we have to stop all the things that are the wrong things. If we want to transform who we are, we can't keep doing what we've always done. In fact, perhaps you know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and hoping to get a different result? Very rarely does that happen. Usually the only way something changes is by changing something. It's that simple. So Paul says, if we want to fix our eyes on God, if we want to seek the things that are above, do this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, Paul gives this really long list, sexual immorality and wrath and anger and malice and covetousness and evil desires, a whole host of things. And what Paul is doing is not calling out any one specific sin, but he's saying in order to walk with God, you need to put to death the sin you've been walking in. Now for some, for some this means if you ever stumble and fall again, you clearly haven't done it yet. But I don't think that's the way Paul meant it when he said to put something to death. You see, Jesus said that to follow after him, we would have to die to ourselves. And so as long as we exist, there will be something in us that needs to die. So to put to death sin is not to say, now tomorrow I'm perfect and have it all together. But each and every day, to wake up and realize, God, I can't do this myself. I am imperfect and broken and am prone to do all the wrong things. So today, help me to seek the things that are right. And then with this sin, when we see ourselves in sin, living in anger, flipping somebody off because they cut us off, or wanting to, that's just as bad. When we see ourselves in this place of sin, coming back to the cross saying, God, I still need your forgiveness. Make me new. Renew me, transform me that I can live with you as one who's for you. And I like that. Having put to death the old self with its practices, it says, put on the new self which is being renewed. Not that you and I are renewed. We're still a piece of work. We're still a a work in progress, but God is actively changing us. So hopefully, today as you look back on where you were on January this year, hopefully you look a little different. Maybe physically you've met your goals, maybe emotionally you're a little more stable and steady, maybe spiritually you know a little more how to follow Jesus or exactly what areas you need to surrender to him that you've been holding on to. 
I hope today you look a little different than you did 12 months ago. But even more than that, I hope that next Sunday or the Sunday after that, you look a little different. I like to use this this analogy or this imagery to think about what this journey of looking like Jesus looks like, of being renewed. Anybody in here like hiking? I really enjoy hiking, and I really enjoy hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Well, if I look at a map of the Appalachian Trail, there's a couple ways I can see it. One, I could look at the whole picture from start to finish. And if I set out and I do 50 or 60 miles, when I look at the whole picture, I'm not very far in my journey, but I'm a little bit further ahead than I was before. Or I could zoom in and look at the specific day's walk. Today, we're going to go up a little bit, and then we're going to go down a little bit, and then we're going to go up a little bit. And my hope is that at the end of the day, I'm further than I was before. Now, when you look at the specific moment, sometimes it's really depressing because you had a brutal and exhausting day and you look and you see tomorrow is going to be even harder. What lies ahead still is going to be just as tough or worse. But you know that by going up and then coming back down and then going up again, eventually you get to that final destination. That's the goal here for us as we are being renewed. Some days will be a little harder. Some days will be a little easier. Some days you'll see lots of progress and other days you'll do a whole lot of work and feel like you ended at the same exact spot. But you're still a little bit further in that journey. That's what he's inviting us to. Paul, he uses this language of putting off the old self. Anybody in here today show up this morning in your pajamas? You could have, that's okay, but none of you did. Why? Well, because our culture tells us you shouldn't, or maybe your pajamas aren't appropriate for church, that would be honest too, right? Or maybe you're like, I like the feeling of getting up in the morning and showering and having a fresh new start to the day. That's me, I love morning showers that are like an hour and a half long. The reality is they're usually no longer than 20 minutes, but I would love an hour and a half if I could. And even 20 minutes, that's a long time, let's be honest. But there's something about the fresh new start that causes us each morning to put on new clothes most of the day. Paul, he uses that same kind of language. Look, in this journey, put on the new self. Like you're getting dressed in the morning, you're starting again today. It's not where you were yesterday that defines you. It's not where you're gonna be in a few weeks from now. It's right now today. Put on this new self and keep going. Then Paul, he continues... In verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and, or Christ is all and in all. See, on this journey of being renewed and being transformed, it's important to note that Paul here inserts, there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. See, for Paul, he says, there's no division saying some people are in and some people are out. There's no division saying, well, you got to look more like that guy, and because you're not yet that guy, you're not there. No, being renewed is a journey, and every one of us, regardless of our past or our present or even what today may hold, regardless, we are all equal on the same footing, each day needing to die to ourselves and find new life in Christ. 
And then Paul, he finishes with, what should we put on? If we're taking off all the sinful things, all the things that are really unhealthy, if we're setting those aside, what do we do differently so that we don't walk around naked? Here's what he says. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What I like about these two lists that Paul gives, the things we should put off and the things we should put on, none of them have anything to do with watching less Netflix or spending less money or losing weight. None of them have anything to do with the things we so often focus on. All things that are good. Instead, all of them have to do with who we are as people more than what we do. Are we people filled with humility, with compassionate hearts, with kindness and meekness and patience? Do we bear with one another? Do we forgive those who've hurt us? For Paul, all of those other things, they may be important, but what really matters is, are you today who God made you to be? And are you becoming who God made you to be? Put on these things, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together. If you and I in this next year change nothing about our lives, but we grow in love, everything will be different. If we change nothing about our habits and our practices, if every resolution fails, but we put on an increased measure of love, it will be a good year. He continues, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul, he ends this section with this. Look, if you want to put on love, you want to grow in humility, you want to become who God made you to do, he says, admonish one another, teach one another, let Christ's word dwell in you, for it will change you. Sing psalms and hymns to one another. Be filled with thanks, thankfulness. These things will transform us to become the kind of person God made us to be. This is why when we gather, we sing. Singing has a power to change us. In fact, I can change your attitude right now with a few simple words in a song. You ready for it? I don't want to be a chicken. All right, some of you are laughing, some of you are singing. What if I keep going and I start doing the actions? Would you join me or just think I'm kind of crazy? Yes, I think the answer is yes. Certain songs have a power to completely change us. Just the lyrics alone will transform us.
don't stop believing. And now you're stuck thinking about journey. (laughs) Part of why we sing when we sing together is because words sung to one another and with one another create a sense of community that strengthens us and changes us. Paul, he says, look, let God's word dwell in you richly and teach one another his word. Teach one another how to walk in this new life. Sing songs and be filled with thankfulness. And then he ends with this, and this is my hope and my prayer for this next year. Whatever you do, whether you lose 10 pounds or you don't, whether you create new healthy habits or you don't, Whatever you do this next year, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look, you have an opportunity each day to live not for yourself, but for a God who loves you immensely. To live not for yourself, but for your neighbor who needs God's love immensely. So whatever you do, do it for the Lord. And I promise that if this is what you and I set out to do this next year, if this is how we shape and change our attitude going into this next year, I promise this time 2022 will look very different than it does right now. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have called us to put off our old self So Lord, we bring before you all of the sin that we have been holding on to, the sexual immorality, the covetousness, the lying, the anger, the wrath. God, all these things that take us away from you, we bring them before you right now. We confess that we want to lay them down like our dirty laundry. We want to take up new life, life that comes from you. So God, help us to walk in humility and meekness and patience. Help us to bear with one another, to forgive each other. Help us to put on love to cover all of our sin. God, may we this next year walk with you. May we be renewed and transformed and made a new creation. Not just in the simple things like our eating habits or our workout habits, but God, in more important things like pursuing you, letting your word dwell richly among us, singing songs to one another, being filled with thanksgiving. God, whatever we do, may we do it for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship now, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. We collect an offering in this place not because God demands it of us, but as an opportunity to join him in the work that he's doing. To say, I believe that you are moving here in the point and through the point. And I believe that by trusting you with my finances, I can help make a difference. And so as we end this year, we're once again doing something called Cultivate Community where we hope all of next year we can create new and healthy community here at the point community that helps us foster friendships, not only with one another, but friendships with our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members. Community that not only fosters friendships, but helps us sustain our future as a church by 
changing this space and transforming this space to be a space for the community even more through things like our expansion of West Fifth Studios and some upgrades to the building like improving internet. We hope to cultivate community next year by serving our city in new and exciting ways through partnerships with organizations like the YWCA and the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking, but also through partnering with local businesses and individuals to say, how can we as the people of God make a difference, not in this space, but in the neighborhood and the community around us? And so as we set out to cultivate community, one of the things I mentioned early on in this process is that we envision and are prayerfully hoping that every person who calls the point their home, who says, this is the community God has placed me in where I should grow and be transformed. If that's you, we're hoping for 100% participation in some way by all of us. So far, 25% of people here at the point have said, I'm in, I want to do something. And if you're here today and you want next year to look different than this year did, you want to be transformed and join us in the process of changing other people's lives. If that's you, will you consider partnering with us? You can partner with us by a special year-end gift right now today, given at thepointknox.com or given with cash or check in the popcorn buckets. Or you can partner with us by going online and setting up a new recurring gift. I don't care what that gift amount is. If you're like, I only have $10 a month in my budget, consider that. So I want to help on an ongoing basis partner with what God is doing. For every one of us who partners and participates, it helps us get closer to doing the work that God has called us to do and moving out of this building into our community to love and serve in a new way. Last year, we ended the year with 60% of the whole congregation saying, I want to do something, whatever my best something is. I hope and I believe that still this year we can surpass that. And more of us can say, I'm in to do something. So as we collect our offering this morning, I want to invite you, if you have not yet participated with a new gift or an online gift for the end of the year, or even in person, now is the opportunity to say, I'm in to do something. And if you have already, or you are regularly partnering with us financially, now as we collect an offering, this is an opportunity to say, God, I continue to trust you with what I'm doing to be a part of this. If you prefer to give cash or check and you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a prayer request, you can place that in the popcorn buckets in the back as you leave, or you can give online at thepointknox.com. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. And now as we continue our service, this is the part where I normally take a moment and respond to your questions. Usually Emily or Vic or Adam are up here joining me, but uh, both are gone today. So Roger gets to read the questions and I'll do my best to respond. (laughs) (laughs) Got to turn the microphone on. It's on. All right. I'm just not used to having ears, you know. It's disorienting. Okay, so... Why did God allow Paul to suffer in prison? How did Paul see God's work from inside a prison? Uh, Why did God allow Paul to suffer? Paul writes that when we suffer, we actually get to participate in the work that Christ did. 
because Jesus himself suffered for us. And suffering is not inherently bad. Like if you go to the gym because you want to get in shape and you come home and didn't suffer at the gym, you're probably never going to get in shape. There's a part of suffering that changes us by chiseling away the things that maybe aren't helpful or good. And so why did God allow Paul to suffer? I don't know, but surely through that, God moved. In fact, we have stories in scripture where Paul is singing praises in the middle of the night in prison and angels show up and everybody's like, wow, what is happening? And we have stories where the prison guards actually become Christian because of Paul's faithfulness through suffering. And if you look at history, the church has always grown and thrived when its members suffered with joy. Now, that doesn't mean we like pursue suffering and seek it out, but when it happens, our attitudes and response to it will change the lives of those around us. Amen. Uh, do we eat in heaven? And do we have to do lists or just rest all the time? Yes. We do eat in heaven and it's going to be glorious. I can't wait. Do we have to-do lists? I don't know, but we will have things to do. Uh, we often equate rest with like sitting around like a couch potato doing nothing, but rest is more holistic and fulfilling. And we were created in the beginning to join God in his work of caring for all of creation and to work the ground. And part of the curse that came for Adam and Eve was that the very thing they were created to do would become burdensome and difficult. And so we will have work to do when heaven comes to earth and Christ returns. But I don't know if there'll be like honey-do lists where we always feel overwhelmed with things we haven't yet done. I think it'll be really rewarding and joyful, if that helps. Yes. Um, this is awkward. I'm going to let you read that because it's not a question and I don't know what it means. <laughs> You probably do. In response to me not working out, because that's what I do every January. Oh, I get it now. I'm expecting to see Pastor Macho Man Adam Savage by about late February. <laughs> you and me both. I did buy or get some dumbbells for Christmas, so just wait. Um, and then there's this one here. Uh, how do you ask for forgiveness for something you believe is not wrong, but the Bible says is a sin? For example, gay marriage. Uh, that is the really difficult question and difficult answer. And the simplest thing is what I believe to be sin and what you believe to be sin don't really matter. Uh, it's not my choice to tell you what is or is not sin and it's not my choice to decide. In fact, every single one of us has things that we do that are sinful that we may or may not think are sinful. Like, let's be honest, how many of you sped on the way here today? In, anyone? Okay, some of you are lying right now. That's sinful. <laughs> We're called to submit to the government, and the government has said, don't go over the speed limit. Is that sin? Yeah. Do I like it? No. Do I still sin? Yes. Am I sometimes con confronted by that sin in a way that I'm convicted? Yes. Is that confrontation through the love of my wife who says slow down? Sometimes. Is it through the love of a police officer who turns on his lights and says slow down and pay this money? It can be. 
And sometimes because everybody else is speeding, I say it's okay and I justify it. So all that to say that when there's things that we are doing or believing or feeling, and especially something like sexuality that defines part of who we are and our identity, it can be really, really challenging to submit that to Jesus. And so I'm not going to ever say that it's easy or that some people have it easier or harder. Submitting our life to Jesus is difficult. And what he invites us to do right now is to submit the things we're able to submit and grow with him that maybe one day in the future we can submit the things that right now we're not able to submit. So if you're here today and this is you and you would like some encouragement or some counsel, I'll I'll sit down without answers and listen and point you to Jesus and say, I don't know, but you're not alone. We're equally in this together of needing Jesus and submitting everything to him. Um, That's my final answer on how we do that, how we ask for forgiveness for things we don't think we've done wrong. Uh, Actually, it's not my final answer. One last thing. Uh, Martin Luther, and he was a pastor 500 years ago, and all the other pastors around him hated doing confession with him because he was so burdened by all of his guilt and grief. He would spend hours and hours and hours confessing, and he'd even confess little things like, six weeks ago, I confessed to you this thing that I didn't actually think or care about at the time, but I was just saying it because I was supposed to. And they just like got driven mad by how much guilt he felt. And when he found this grace of the gospel and it transformed him in a whole new way, he actually changed his approach to confession. And he said, look, if you feel guilty, confess it. If not, move on. And so the things that we feel guilty for, God will convict you over time. It's that simple. Confess what you know, be forgiven, and keep pursuing him. All right? Was that it? Yep. I hope so, because I put my phone in my pocket. So you're out of luck if it's not. Church, as you go today, go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.